Dip now in blue Mors in green Tahira. This pair are clearing the Kipco 1000 Guinness. Behind them in third place is Matilda Peacock and it's Mors in the blue colours fighting on strongly. Tahira the green jacket, but it's Mors just in front of Tahira. They're well clear from in third position. Horse is well beaten. They run into the dip. County and Fastwood, High Royal just can't run straight. Then behind those Royal Scotsman and Noble Style and Dubai Mall. Caldean on the far side out in front. The Dewhurst winner in the hands of Frankie Dottori in his final season. And he wins another Guineas. Caldean wins it from High Royal. Then Royal The soundtrack to the coronation of King Charles over the weekend. But the coronation that we're concerned about is that of King Chaldean in the 2000 Guineas and Queen Maj in the Phillies version, the 1000 Guineas. Hi, it's Emma Kennedy. It is great to have your company and delighted to say that I am joined by a special guest, a man who runs a small yard in Ireland. He describes himself as a micro Irish racehorse trainer, but together with his son Ross, he has enjoyed lots of success, particularly at Dundalk, where he's had nine winners from his first 30 runners. Dennis Coakley, welcome to the Final Furlong Podcast Weekend Review. Yeah, thank you very much. Very, very good to be here. And a cracking weekend for your final Furlong Podcast debut as well, uh, as all eyes were obviously on the UK for the coronation over the weekend. But the coronation that we care about is the king being crowned in the 2,000 guineas in Chaldine and the queen in the 1,000 guineas with Maj. We'll begin with the Colts classic. Frankie's farewell season has been going an absolute treat, so much so people are starting to wonder, will he extend it? He chose the 2,000 guineas over the Kentucky Derby and it worked out a treat for him. Uh, Chaldine was very well backed before the off, he'd been eight to one in the morning, backed all the way down to seven to two, and it was pretty easy for him in the end, Dennis. Yeah, he was. He got a very uncomplicated ride. He sat handy all the way, and and he won it well. Um, he, he people will question the form when you see two very long shots, second and fourth, a hundred to one plus. Um, Aidan O'Brien's ran too bad to be true. If your horse, you sometimes like that. If your horses get beaten, you prefer them to be, be badly beaten because at least you know it's not that true running, and that and that they probably take reassurance from that. Um, I suppose the real thing though was it just shows you how much we're going to miss Frankie. Like if you, when I was growing up, everyone, everyone outside racing, everyone in the general public knew who Leicester was. Nowadays, I think everyone in the general public in Ireland or the UK knows who Frankie is. And when he retires, there'll be nobody left with that recognition to bring racing out into the greater public consciousness. I think the nearest is probably Rachel Blackmore. Um, but it, it is going to be a loss because he is box office. Um, but I, I noticed Chaldean isn't, he's no derby entry, so he'll obviously be sticking to a mile. And I suppose it's a, they don't seem to be talking about the Irish 2000 guineas, which is a pity. And they seem to be talking about Royal Ascot. And I think here we would love to see the, the best horses from England coming and taking on ours on a more regular basis. But it doesn't seem to be going to happen. I suppose what you'd say is you might take Royal Scotsman, uh, the horse that finished third, as being a, a one for the Derby, wouldn't you? Yeah, uh, potentially. Uh, I completely echo your points about the Irish 2000 Guineas. It, it is a real shame that it, and it's not on the agenda at all for them. Um, Charlie Appleby said yeah. on, on Racing TV this morning with Tom Stanley that it's too early. It's it's going to come too quick. And so it, it is all about Royal Ascot next for him. Um, and this is becoming a bit of a theme with 2000 Guineas winners. Yeah. Unless they're trained by Aidan O'Brien, they're not coming yeah. to Ireland, which is a real shame. And 
it's for that reason, we'll, we'll come to the Aiden O'Brien horses in a second, because uh, I, I think we're going to see at least one of them line up at the Curra, but uh, I'm keen to get your, your thoughts on them. But to focus on Chaldean, uh, first of all, like the form was there. He was a terrific winner of the Dewhurst. He won it in a fast time. The horse who was second to him has run a real blinder here, so he, that's backed up the form. Uh, if Frankie had chosen to go to Kentucky, Oshie Murphy would have done the double because he would have been on board <laughs> Chaldean. And so I'm sure he was yeah. constantly saying, go on, Frankie, it's your last season. Yeah. Don't you want to shoot the lights out of Churchill? Uh, and, and we'll talk about Churchill Downs later on too because, oh, dearie me, there was a lot of stuff going on there. But it, it was a pretty uncomplicated ride for him. He was tremendous in, in how he's done it. There wasn't anything flukish about it. You can certainly look at horses in behind and say, well, this horse hasn't given the running, that horse hasn't given the running. And, and on that, Dennis, the ground... Uh, the clerk of the course announced that they were going to water on Thursday. He referenced how it was good to firm ground. There was a mixed forecast. And in this day and age, I get it when there are protests at racing and they knew there were going to be more protests on Saturday as well. You want to limit, of course, the chance of fatalities. But race racehorses are bred to race on good to firm. Chaldean had done that. <laughs> Little Big Bear had done that. Why are they so terrified to have good to firm in the going description these days? Yeah, because you think good to firm is the ideal ground for fat horses. That's yeah. what they're bred for. And, and um, it, it, people will be asking, as you said, they are under pressure and they're terrified on the big occasion that something might happen. But like you might remember, going back 15, 20 years ago, you used to have horses running on firm ground that we will never, we never see firm now. Yeah. Um, and, but... It, that is the problem. They water it and then it rains on it and it ends up um, it ends up then they're running on heavy ground. Now, I think the best horse still won and you, you find that the really good horses tend to be able to go on any ground. Look at See the Stars, um, Frankel, they both they both run on, won on soft ground. So the best horses seem to be able to win on it all, but it kind of takes from it maybe as a, from the overall race and it it puts a little few question marks around it. So they're going, the people are going to ask. And I think by today, looking at the latter races today, you know, the horses were struggling. It, yeah. uh, it was really, it was really testing. Um, but I suppose that's another day's, another day's work. It happens all the time. And they, nowadays they water ground, then they rain on it and it ends up um, way worse than they want. <laughs> It's just shambolic. Yes. Like it, it's not. It's not good yeah. enough from a fan's perspective. It's certainly not good enough for the connections who are being encouraged to run yeah. their horses in these big races. It is. There is only one two thousand guineas at Newmarket. Like this is the big one. Yeah. As much as we love the Irish two thousand guineas, it's just not the same, uh, and it doesn't have the same value or impact on the on the stallion potential of a, of a racehorse. So I, I'm sure there were lots of connections who were very very infuriated with the situation for all that yeah. I would not want to be a clerk of a course because you can never get it right. But that was a mess. No. In terms of Chaldean, the race has worked out perfectly for him, but to be fair, he was cruising through it and he picked up really, really well. He's won it in the style of, of an exceptionally talented racehorse and he should have a good season going forward. His next start will be Royal Ascot in the St. James's Palace Stakes. I don't really see anything here that would worry me to turn the form around on, unless something takes a big step forward, like uh, a little big bear. But he yeah. would have the potential, like his campaign pretty much maps itself out now. St. James's Palace Stakes, Sussex Stakes at Goodwood, 
and then the Judmont International, if you want to try 10 furlongs, given that the sponsors have that race. Yeah, yeah. So it, it'll, and I suppose it'll be, it'll be a good season for Frankie, having him to look forward to. Yeah, Frankie, farewell, gets extended yeah. to every single meeting. Uh, and Chaldean yeah, will be, able, that's another thing that'll annoy Oshin Murphy, perhaps if he had been on board for the Guineas, because it was such a, yeah. a spectacular disaster to begin the season with, the, the unseat at the very start, the Frankie flying dismount at completely the yeah. wrong time. But maybe that would that turned yeah. out to be a blessing in disguise. Yeah, often can something you think is a disaster at the time sometimes can work out to be a blessing in disguise. But um, certainly didn't do any harm by yesterday anyway. So he, um, so, as I said, he, he came out and he... he he got he he won the, where it the where it mattered and that was it and he now has his he's now look can look forward to as you said the program's mapped out for him and it's hard to see or something extraordinary happens you know it's hard to see what what could beat him from the current crop of three year olds anyway yeah and and that's a very important point to make this is very early in the season it's only his second start really it's his first start of the season but he's now a dual group one winner. Uh, he's a, a juvenile Group 1 winner in the Dewhurst. He's won the 2,000 guineas. He should really go and win the St. James's Palace Stakes. And just looking at the betting yeah. for the Queen Anne, uh, which obviously isn't a race that he can run in, but it gives us an idea of who's there in the older horses that he could meet in the Sussex Stakes. I don't see a whole lot for him to be concerned about. If they can keep yeah. him fit and well, he'd have a very big chance of being champion minor this season. Yeah. And it's good that it's it's another. It's good to see Judmont getting a good horse like that. That it's not all that you know, it's like you need that competition. Bally Doyle, Godolphin, Judmont, Shadwell. You know, the more the more the more interest it creates, and that that it's spread out a bit. And I say, look forward to it anyway for the rest of the season. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'll I'll get your thoughts on Royal Scotsman in a second. You were talking about the Derby with him. I'm very intrigued to hear what you have to say though about the Aidan O'Brien horses because. August Roden has flopped badly and Little Big Bear has finished stone last. Clearly, these runs were too bad to be true because these are two individual Group 1 winning two-year-olds. They're obviously much better than that, Dennis. Yeah, clearly they are. So that's when you say when your horses run bad, sometimes you prefer them to run very, very bad because then I'd say it's not... If they finish third or fourth, they might have said, well, that's as good as they are, but they know that they're a lot better than that. So they'll, they'll regroup and they'll come back again. And um, there's talk of, um, of one of them isn't going for the, back to sprint into the Commonwealth. Um, that would be, um, and, and Augustine Roden will, will go will go for the Derby and the other one will go back to the, maybe back, I think they're talking about the Greenlands, isn't it? And then back to the Commonwealth Cup. Uh, so that's the course they look to be taking. Yeah, I'm. I'm not so sure about this with Little Big Bear. I would be amazed, and I, I know that he was lame. I think it was his. I think it might have been his right hind behind. leg. Yeah, um, but he was yeah. certainly lame in, in behind. Now, hopefully, it's nothing serious, given the fact that he was ruled out uh, after August and, and last year. So, please God, it, it's nothing too bad. But I'd be amazed if they if they can get him to the Irish Two Thousand Guineas if they didn't run him there, because it's yeah. going to be a weak renewal of the race. And as you know, from a stallion perspective, winning a Group 1 over a mile is mustard. Like, having a Group 1 sprinter, yeah, of course, that horse is going to be popular. But if you can prove yourself over a mile, it adds so much valuation uh, to a racehorse. Yeah, well, so, a, mile is, a mile is the 
the distance now. But they'd be kind of cut. They'd be very tight for time. Now it's only three weeks, so I don't know how lame he is. Um, he'd obviously be having a few easy days after he gets back, but if they kind of don't have him, if, he, if they don't have him back in normal work by the end of the week, it's going to be very tight for him, I'd imagine. Yeah. Um, that as it, you know, as you referred to earlier, it's only three weeks between the the English and the Irish Guineas. It, it, even with everything going well, people talk about it as being a tight schedule. So when you've got something go wrong, then um, it makes it even tighter. Yeah, I, I I still think they might do a US Navy flag with them, try them over a mile in, yeah. in Ireland, and then try it again in the St. Yeah. James's Palace Stakes. And you can drop back for the July Cup. That's what they did with him. Yeah. And in terms of the Commonwealth Cup, I know people aren't exactly hot on these horses, but they do have the Antarctic and they do have Aesop's Fables for sprinting this season. Yeah. So yeah. I'm just not entirely sure about that narrative that Little Big Bear is going to go straight back to sprinting. It might be the case. I'm not so sure. In terms of August Roden, it's a pretty quick turnaround for him as well for the Derby. Um, had he done what Luxembourg had done, for example, or Australia, uh, and run a big race placing in, in the Guineas, um, or Camelot, who was on the Triple Crown Trail after winning this and then the Derby, you'd be very excited about him. But he's gone from 2-1 to one at 7-1, to one, and I can't recall a Derby winner in recent years who spectacularly bombed out in his previous start. Do you keep yeah. the faith with him for Epsom, or is that race going to come too quickly now as well? They have an extra, what's it, an extra week, isn't it, between, that's four weeks away. I suppose it depends on what, I suppose it depends on what else they have, because the one thing about John Magner, unlike a lot of, he really does value the derby. Mm. Um, I suppose it goes back to the Vincent O'Brien days, while it mightn't be the, you know, they, they, but it mightn't be the race of value for a stud, they do really like winning the Derby. It is it is important to them from that point of view. So, I, it it depends on whether they have a if they have a, a, a another horse that they would um I can't think of hand, but if they don't, I would be if they don't have anything else strong, I can't. I think they will still try to aim for the Derby with them. Oh, they'll definitely aim the for it. it. It's just whether or not he yeah. can actually realistically win it now that there is yeah I, I firmly believe he's a group one performer and and i'm somebody who has the horse backed at 16 to 1 not for huge money he's in a multiple bet that's turned out to be a complete disaster that i got badly wrong but i, I do have him in a single as well i won't be retiring from it and i won't be going on a five-star holiday but we'll get a nice weekend away somewhere i i just don't yeah. think it's going to happen now I, I think he will yeah. win a group one this season i think epsom might be a little bit too too fast and We'll talk about the Derby trial in Ireland in a second. The two horses that Aidan ran there ended up getting blown away. But even those races, I don't think, are as important to Ballydoyle as they once were. It's really the Derby trial for Ballydoyle is the 2,000 guineas, Chester and Lingfield. They're the key ones where yeah. their main contenders would, would prep. Yeah, well, of course, Chester this week. But this time next week, it'll be a lot clearer. Yes, very much so. Um, and my big fancy for the Aidan O'Brien Yard for the Derby doesn't even have an entry for the race yet. That's continuous, but I'm sure we'll talk about him uh, later yeah. in the week. In terms of Royal Scotsman, um, I did hear some people saying perhaps he could drop back in trip. So I was very intrigued to hear you saying about going up because I would be more of your mindset. I think, why not try him o over a little bit further? Um, yeah. I, he does, I suppose, on pedigree, his siblings are Milers and Seven Furlong Horses. 
do you envisage a scenario where he could turn things around with Chaldean in the St. James's Palace stakes were they to clash there? Or is it just a case of Chaldean has beat him twice now, fair and square, and he's just the better horse? There's every race is individual, but you, you would take it, you know, you would think it would take a bit of improvement. You can imagine Chaldean will improve himself. So it's twice, it's hard to see him turning the tables around the third time, isn't it? Yeah. If he was mine, I'd be going for the Derby. Roll the dice. Roll the dice for the big one. Yeah. Why not? And, and the Hayes may very well be thinking yeah. the same thing. Um, Dubai Mile will surely be going down the Derby route. We might see him in the Dante. Yeah. And Sakir had apparently done this terrific piece of work. It didn't really happen for him. And the two Godolphin horses were quite disappointing, Noble Style and, and Silver Knot. Yeah. And it was, I suppose, what happened as well, because the ground was soft, then they tried to they tried to go a bit steady and a lot of horses ran very free then, which is not ideal. Um, and so, you know, there was a few of them with question marks about whether they'd stay and then they ran free as well, which didn't help them. <laughs> so that would be, that's the other, that would probably happen to some of the Godolphin ones. So it'll be interesting, but as a, it, it was not to take away, I think the real story was Frankie. So uh, yeah. hope, hopefully we really can look forward to, to a good season anyway, watching him. Well, this is something that racing has to, and I know people are going to get tired of it very quickly. It's like, oh God, it's Frankie's last Royal Ascot. It's Frankie's last York. Yeah. It's Frankie's last Breeders' Cup. Um, yeah. But it's a terrific marketing tool because what you said yeah. earlier on about who are the jockeys who transcend the sport, you are right. It's Rachel Blackmore and Frankie Dettori. There isn't, like, for all that we love Ryan Moore and he's an incredible talent, just doesn't have the charisma. Doesn't They're no. not booking him to go on Graham Norton's show, whereas Frankie <laughs> would be on that. Um, so, yeah, I think racing has to properly milk this for all it's worth. Uh, and, and another jockey who's got a terrific personality is Oshin Murphy. Um big friend of the show and winning a classic went very close on 125 to one shot the day before got a great tune out of that horse for kevin ryan and then goes and wins yeah. uh, the big one on maj a, a nine to one shot in the end for Said bin saroor that is Said bin saroor's first british group one win for 10 years it's hard to imagine did i hear him saying after it he'd 191 group winners it's not group one winners i think he said something huge but it's hard to imagine that he he he's got he went that long. Um, like obviously in the meantime, Charlie Appleby has gone from strength to strength. And, well, apologies, um, Dennis. Apologies. I've engaged in Russian disinformation and fake news. I gave you an, an accurate stat. It's not ten years since Said Vince Roar said a. Uh, oh, it is. Sorry. No, no. I'm being confused by my new producer. For goodness' sakes, it's his first <laughs> British classic for fourteen years. And his first British Group One for ten years, so we were correct. No, yeah. no Russian disinformation yeah. here. But yeah, yeah, he has been eclipsed by Charlie Appleby. But when you consider two thousand three, two thousand four, five, when he and Aidan O'Brien were going to war, and there was the height of Godolphin versus Coolmore, Ballydoyle versus uh, versus Godolphin, uh, you wouldn't have imagined that it would be ten years before he'd win another British Group One. Uh, for Saeed, it's it has been yeah. a long time in the doldrums. Yeah, it's it's uh, it, it's incredible for someone that had such huge success, as you said, back in those days when it was when he had all those good horses and they were going head to head with with um, the Valley Doyle horses. But maybe now he, they'll turn, it'll, things will work out. Obviously, he can't 
you don't if you're a good trainer you're always a good trainer but you, you can't do that out there without the raw material and if the horses weren't good all, all any trainer can do is get the best out of the horses he has and clearly the horses he had haven't been good enough for the last while um, but now he has a good horse and he you know it was a, it was a very very good race um, they were quite a bit ahead of the third and you know he'd be looking forward that more should be able to add a few more group ones to the as the season goes on yeah, they- um, now you'd you wouldn't you wouldn't you wouldn't you wouldn't bet against um Darren Wells horse turning it around and because he had been saying that he would have just loved another couple of weeks. So he obviously felt that she she lived in another couple of weeks' time she'll be even better, she'll improve, but it wasn't she didn't she she they, she probably just she didn't jump away cleanly, which maybe didn't help her, but still she ran a tremendous race and um It'll, it'll be interesting to see will the will the two uh, one or two of them and now head to the Curra. Well, it was mentioned by both connections. Um, Dermot Wells, yeah. he wasn't exactly enthusiastic about it. He was talking about it being such a big run because he, he had warned before the race that she'd missed two two weeks of. He he was of the opinion yeah. that she's two weeks behind, uh, essentially. Yeah. Um, as as you've alluded to as well. Um, but on that as well, uh, while both connections have. Both mentioned the current and it would be tremendous if they both go there. Tahira, you would imagine, yeah. would be the most likely. But how much did the lack of experience for her cost her in the finish? The, the, um, when you say lack of experience, lack of a run this year, do you mean? Or? Oh, a lack of overall experience. You'd only had two runs coming yeah. into it. And as, as much as it might not seem a huge thing, the average amount of runs that a, a classic winner of the 1,000 guineas they would at least have had three starts. So she was coming in yeah. undercooked, really. Yeah, certainly she was, she's a lot more. She, on the other hand, had plenty of runs as a two-year-old, and she was very progressive, so she certainly had a lot more experience, which is why I said you wouldn't... If you, if they re, if they were to meet again in the current three weeks' time, it would be a great race to look forward to, and it could go either way again. And you might say that to hear a... On the basis of the fact that she, the Dermers, thought she could have done with another couple of weeks, and as you say, the fact she she was inexperienced, that you would fancy her to turn the tables, would be be a great race to see, um, yeah. be a great boost for the car if that happened. So hopefully it will. Oh, I'm sure that the car are already extending the invitations. Right. <laughs> praying and extending the invitations to try and get both there uh, while at the same time Royal Ascot doing the exact same thing come to the coronation Dermot come to the yeah, coronation Saeed yeah. um, it is it is a it is a bit unfortunate now with the horses that really when you look at you've got the English guineas weekend the Irish weekend guineas weekend and then you have Royal Ascot and people kind of say that just the Irish one suffers in the timing that trainers are happier to wait for Royal Ascot it just gives them that little bit more time yeah. And the and the and the chorus suffers over that, but I think Royal Ascot has got bigger as the years have gone as well, hasn't it? And and that's um and that and that hasn't helped the car. The car is kind of caught in the middle. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, there are bookmakers who are quoting prices on Maj for the Oaks. There's, I know she's entered in it, but there's not a hope in hell she'll go for that though. No, no, I don't. I think they'll stick to the mile for her. And um, 
yeah, that, yeah I, think, I think they'll stick to the mark. That'll be the maybe ten furlongs in time, but on on her pedigree, definitely <laughs> yeah. a, a mile for her. So we should see a rematch at some point. Either it'll be the Curra, or it'll be the Coronation, and that rematch is going to be yeah. very hotly anticipated. Maj obviously had the benefit of two runs in Dubai, uh, and Tahira making her first start of the season. I I suspect Tahira would turn things around next time out, but. Um, yeah. we, we gave Maj a very positive mention. We had a pretty decent crack at the Guineas uh, overall. We got we got a couple of things right on the weekend preview. I put up Chaldine, made a big case for Maj in the 1,000 Guineas. We can pat ourselves on the back. There was a number of things we got wrong as well, though. Uh, we were right about running line in the pretty poly stakes. Yeah. Um, really impressive performance for Oshin Murphy and John and Thady Gosden. These, when they team up, uh, they have got a terrific strike rate. I think it's 32% at least. Um, so that's going to be a, a very interesting partnership to watch going forward. And when yeah. Frankie goes, I wonder if the Gosdens are going to be the ones who approach Yoshin. And I know that he's very loyal to Qatar, but uh, it's going to be hard to say no to that. And that you would imagine that's the offer that we made. It'll be either Oshin or James Doyle will be offered that. Um, but in the immediate future, running line was visually very impressive. She had the experience, but she clearly has the talent as well. And she's been cut to 10 to 1 yeah. now for the Oaks. Yeah. The, well, she, the other option she has is the pre-Diane, which is um, it could happen as well. But yeah, she was very impressive. You have no questions about her stamina, and she 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 was very very impressive. The Oshin didn't really have to ask her too many questions. It was a very impressive performance. Yeah. Uh, they were non-committal in terms of is it going to be France like Nashua or is it going to be Epson? Of course. She did a bit of both, didn't she, in the end, Nashua? Yeah. Um, I would imagine they would they would roll the dice for Epsom. Um, they've obviously yeah. tasted success on on both of those races in the past, but I, I don't think there'd be much of a doubt. And certainly to my mind, there's no doubt that she'd get a mile four. Yeah. The pre-Diane is the start of As- Royal Ascot week as well, so um, whether that would play, they could go Oaks and then go to Royal Ascot as well. Maybe, but it's it's a nice problem to have for them. Yes, it's a high class problem, but she's definitely yeah. a very, very intriguing horse running line, and I'm sure she's going to do well this season. Uh, back in the winners' enclosure was Jerlines, who had been a little bit yeah, quiet. He'd, uh, he'd had he'd had 15 runners, no winners, but he's had a double today. Power under me and Zarinsk winning the group race. Yeah, he he wasn't getting carried away with her. He's I can see the way he's thinking. He's saying no, hopefully group two. And I think what he's working towards is Champions Weekend, probably the matron stakes. That's his target. And take her up to group two probably next. And um, she isn't entered in the guineas or any of the big Royal Ascot races. So she's entered in the Irish guineas. So that's what I think he'll do. His ultimate target would be Champions Champions Weekend, the matron stakes in Leopardstown and um, no better trainer to target a horse towards that. So it'll be interesting to see. But she was, she was quite. She, I think, she, she did. She had to do with the hard way. She had to make her own running, and um, so she, 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 it was an impressive performance. The, the runner-up um, would cut the eye a bit as well. Yeah. Um, she made up a lot of ground. She came from well back and finished well. Uh, so she could, but I wonder would they be thinking the Irish thousand guineas for her? Yeah, I think Dermot well made reference to that that um, yeah. they have her as well. So perhaps she could go to the Curra and 
then keep the one the the one thousand guineas runner up for Royal Ascot. We'll, we'll see how that pans yeah. out. Perhaps both will go. One could go to France as well. Um, we'll yeah. see how they both come out of the races. But you could argue that Colin Keane nicked this from the front. That off the final bend, he made that decisive maneuver, and she was certainly getting a little bit lonely out in front towards the end. But I I liked this performance for all that. Charlines is cre- keeping his feet on the ground with her. Yeah, no, it was an impressive performance, and yeah, I'm sure he 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 he, he, he would be very very happy with it. Um, she's gone now, isn't it? Listed group three, so he's thinking now the next stage group two and and see where it's, it's each step up now is obviously quite a it's a big step from group three to group two. There isn't going to be an awful lot of difference between group two and group one. But um, that's the next step, so he's hoping she'll be able to to meet that. Only difference is the prize money and what it's worth to you at stud at the yeah. end of the day. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. Two high-class Godolphin five-year-olds who are back, which is terrific to see. Adair, the Derby winner, and Hurricane Lane, the Irish Derby winner. Uh, Hurricane Lane had looked as though he was out of love with the game, but blew back spectacularly in the Jockey Club Stakes and Adair, uh, we're recording on Sunday evening, earlier on today, was a really good winner on, on his comeback. Um, you were saying to me off-air just before we began, it's it's unusual to be seeing horses of this age profile still in training. Yeah, it's our two high-class seven Epson Derby winner and an Irish Derby winner both back in training as five-year-olds. And it's probably, it's probably a reflection of the way things have changed when I was... Growing up, the Derby winner was the one for stud. They were the most valuable one, um, and it's totally changed now. You, you see a lot of Derby winners ending up as national sires, and I'm sure that's because of that. They 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 probably decided it's a better idea to keep them in training as five year olds. Um, I know they were saying they want to win a Group One with over a mile and a quarter with that that's obviously what they think they have to do to get them to get them established for stud. Um, I'd imagine the arc will be the targets, ultimate targets for both of them. I think anyone that backed Hurricane Lane was congratulating themselves on, you know, on, the, on his ability. When he won the Irish Derby, he looked like a very nice horse, and that he wasn't even favoured in a race like that on Friday was a bit of a surprise, albeit after a couple of bad runs. The cheap pieces seemed to do the business and he looked to be back to his to his best there. And Adiar won quite impressively today. So it's good to see I it's it's good to see two great horses two very good horses like that back in training as five year olds. And as as I said, it's a sign of the of the of the less value you have for a derby winner as a stud prospect now. And the, the way things have changed. Yeah, very much so. And I mean, even if you were to look at some of the Ballydoyle horses, like Godolphin were the ones who led the way with this and keeping their high-class horses in training at four and then extending it to five. It, it certainly wasn't a thing done back in the day, but but they would yeah. kind of lead the way with that. Uh, and then over time, Ballydoyle and Coolmore became very sporting and started to do the same thing. 
running Yates in four Gold Cups, for example, is just an extraordinary thing, yeah. especially when you're winning four. But um, it, the, the older horse division is shaping up quite nicely this season. I mean, just looking a quick look at the betting for the Prince of Wales stakes. You've got Baybridge with a nice comeback in France. Desert Crown is, is back. Yeah. James Savage was on the show a couple of weeks ago giving us an in-depth stable tour for the Stout Yard, and they're going to be two big players this season. Uh, you've got Vidani, who probably just a typical old French comeback, really. The other day, uh, Adair is now second favourite for the Prince of Wales Stakes after that comeback. Emily Upjohn is is back in training. Luxembourg's a big old price. I think he's an awful lot better than his comeback run. I'd, I'd forgive him that. Nashua is back this season. Point Lonsdale looked good on his comeback, uh, which was great to see. Hopefully he doesn't bounce next time. We'll have to see how he does. Uh, and then you've got yeah. Gold Cup prospects like Bolshoi Ballet, uh, who are back in training. It's, it's shaping up to be a pretty good season in the middle distance division of older horses this year. Yeah, and it, it, it's great for great for racing to see that because you know they're it's probably the one day thing they say about the plat is the horses aren't around long enough for us to get familiarity with them. So it is good to see those horses coming back and again this year and it could be a very interesting year. And um and um we, it'll be something to look forward to over the summer. Very much so. Very, very much so. Uh, and the final race we're going to talk about is the Derby Trial in Ireland. It used to be the Derrinstone Stone Derby Trial. It's a little bit worrying that a race of this prestige doesn't have a sponsor. But anyway, uh, the Derby Trial yeah. goes to Jessica Harrington's Sprewell, uh, beats up and under. So the form looks good because he had won the Bally Sacks, or what used to be the Bally Sacks on his... Apologies, he had one. He was placed in that, a second in the Bally Sacks. Yeah. Uh, and you've got a, a Group 1 winning two-year-old in Proud and Regal back in third. Uh, Jessica Arrington has obviously had some tough battles uh, personally in, in recent times, and it's great to see her doing so well. Uh, but it's also fantastic to see her doing so well on the track, and they've got a right one for Epsom with this fellow. Yeah, it's been traditionally it's been a very solid yardstick as a trial for the for the Epsom Derby, and he looked an impressive horse today. You know, the only thing they say he's he's never he never, hasn't ran on good ground yet, has he? It's been always with an ease in it, but it shouldn't bother him. And he looks to be an improving horse, so it it, it it's it would be great to see, be great to see Jessica Arrington having a Derby winner, and it's great to see her with a with a horse that goes with a real chance. Um, the second horse up and under, he came home well, and you could imagine him going for the Irish Derby, wouldn't you? Yeah, he, he must be the best maiden in the country now, is he? <laughs> He said, you wouldn't want if, to be taking him on now if you were trying to mind a handicap mark. If that fella appears in someone's list of dark horses to follow, it's like, uh, there's a spoofer if you've ever seen one. Because, yeah. Um, yeah, he's an absolute yeah. solid moral to go and yeah. win his dark, to win his maiden. Um, the, yeah. the John Joseph Murphy must yeah. be loving life with, with White Birch. Uh, I, I don't know what the reason was for him yeah. not turning up, but they can be pretty excited about him now. I, I know he's in the Dante. Maybe they're going to run him there. But... Um, it's a significant boost to his form. Yeah, I'd, uh, I'd imagine that. Yeah, um, so it, it's and it's great to see it's different stables having contenders. Like it's you know it, it makes it more interesting. It's great to see Jessica Orange and John Murphy having horses that can that can go with uh, can look forward to one of the two derbies, if not both of the derbies, with with a realistic chance of of, of winning. So it'll be it'll be interesting. It, very much so. I, I I'd said this a couple of weeks ago on the show. I don't think that Darrenstown is the trial it was for Bally Doyle anymore. Um, and I kind of mentioned it earlier on the show as well. I, I think ever since Kieran Fallon came in, yeah. Aiden's mindset was turned 
to focusing the preps for, for horses instead of the, the old days of Galileo High Chaparral and Yates, who was favourite for the Derby and had won the Bally Sacks in the Derrinstown and then was a very late withdrawal from Epsom. Uh, since those days and Kieran Fallon's involvement, they've become much more focused on Chester, the 2000 Guineas and Linkfield. And I think they're the key trials. That's where you'll see the Bally Doyle horses emerge, which is probably a good thing because the horses they ran yeah. today were pretty underwhelming. Uh, I thought Londoner would really step forward from his run in France. Um, he's run okay, but he's been blown away really by, by, by Jess Garrington's horse and, and his son Joseph's. And Tower of London didn't come forward at all from, from last season. Yeah. So yeah, no, they have they 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 have, as you said, been sending their better hopes now towards Chester um in particular. So I suppose they kind of think if, if they can act around Chester, then they'll act around Epsom, isn't it? A tight course it gives them a, um it it, it has it more in keeping with the qualities you need around around Epsom than maybe Leopardstown would. Exactly. So, that's that's of course this that's this week so it'll be another it's into full it just shows the class is into full swing now isn't it yeah and this is the look I, I love jumps racing but this is the difference between the flat and the jumps jumps is all about Cheltenham and it it's building towards that yeah. and then yes you do get excited about Aintree and to a certain extent Punchestown we love you Punchestown but it really centres around one big meeting. And you can say what you want about how great the King George is and the Tinkle Creek. It is always the focus of Cheltenham. Whereas on the flat, while the Guineas is a huge race, the second that's over, you're building to the Derby. The second that's over, you're building to Royal Ascot. And so on and so on. And you've got all of these trial meetings as well to get you to there. It's just, it's a better overall product for all the, not everyone's going to love me saying that. Um, but it is. And yeah. in, in terms of the Derby, like the Derby market is starting to look like the crypto market with the fluctuations, given what's happened with August Roden. Um, and, uh, one horse that I thought was very interesting for it was Proud and Regal. But I was alarmed to hear Jane on Racing TV today talk about the, the lack of scope the horse has for one thing. And while he had been entered in the Bally Sacks and didn't run, and maybe he'd had some kind of a setback, uh, this was a pretty underwhelming comeback from him. Yeah. But, yeah, but I mean, we'll see how it happens in Chester. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But uh, I think it might be back to the drawing board with, with Proud and Regal. I, I would yeah. forgive him in the sense that it is his first comeback of the season and we'll see how he builds on that. But he would absolutely need to step forward and step forward in a big, big way. Um, a few of the big stories in the racing yeah. world. PGA. So we've had several board members, including Chairman John Holmes and uh, Director Simon Cox, resigning from the Professional Jockeys Association. Concerns among PGA members have reportedly been growing in recent months around management issues such as the new whip rules and proposed pay rises for valets. Uh, Some sources are describing growing discontent within PGA membership with the leadership of the organization labeling it as not up to scratch and leaving riders with no confidence in the hierarchy. It's been a pretty tough time for the PGA, especially over the last 18 months. Uh, jockeys have rebelled against course closures at saunas, the whip rules, as we just mentioned, the implementation of the new weight allowance as well. Uh, they have not made any public comment on this, although the PGA's CEO, Ian McMahon, did say, the organization is looking constantly to review our processes and will ensure that 
jockey advisory groups, or nominated working groups are actively involved in future consultations. In other words, we have nothing to say on this matter. Uh, That's really a fancy way of saying that. You can see why jockeys don't have as much faith in the PGA as, as they once did. And the best example, and an example I've mentioned a few times on this show, is when the new whip rules were announced, and I did say with Nevin Truesdale that I was wrong to be as anti the new whip rules as I was, and that there are certainly benefits to it that I can now see. I still think that how that whole thing was brought about and implemented was horrible, and the communication around it was horrible, but I can see what they're trying to do now. Um, But the PGA's actions, once those whip rules were announced, was to send one letter on behalf of every jockey they represent. And quite frankly, Dennis, that's just not up to scratch. I think, well, they... The, the Paul Strutter's leaving was a very, very big loss. You know, you had some that had been leading the organization well for quite a number of years. And he, he departed for reasons we probably, it all went down back to the Briny Frost case. Mm. And since then, like particularly on the whip, the, the PGA have been always on the back foot. They've, they've never got ahead of things. And they, it's, just been very, very, it's just been very, very poor the way they haven't communicated to the public or they, I don't think they really rep, I'm not, don't think they represented their members very well. Um, like I know if you look up the whip the whip review group, they had a they have their report there and something like and about 95% of riders said that they were happy with the current as it was then penalty structure. And yet, when they brought out this draconian new penalty structure, the PGA were, or the BHA were saying it was at the request, the specific request of the jockeys. Yes. Which was, I don't know where they came from that. Like, when they talk about turkeys voting for Christmas, jockeys would not be voting for draconian punishments for themselves. Well, certainly um, not when you're taking away, for a fairly minor infringement in the context of what these rules are. And again, I understand what they're trying to do now better than before. I can see the aesthetic and the optics of it you're trying to improve. However, the punishments are insane. And you are literally taking away a person's livelihood for 28 days for the most minor of infractions. And you're fining them on top of that. If if it was a case that they reduced the number of, of uses by one, I don't think there have been too many issues. Like France have reduced the number by one, and I don't think you'll hear a whimper there. But the difference is that the penalty structure in France is completely different and far, uh, very, very minor. Like for the first, if you're one to two strikes over in France, a professional jockey for the first offence gets a 150 euro fine and no suspension. The second offence is a one day suspension the third two days and the fourth four days and their record is wiped clean after two months. In England, you can see um, JJ Slevin, for instance, he got an eight-day suspension for one over at Cheltenham and like that ruled him out of the Irish Grand National and a grade, one or two grade ones at Fairy House <clears throat> for one strike too many. Was, crazy. Like that is completely draconian and crazy. There's a, a there's a conditional rider, I can't remember their name, 
that had a couple of minor infringements over the last couple of months. Under the old rules, with the old, they would have got a, two, a total of two days suspension. I think it was 42 days they've ended up getting. That's right. Because they, they were referred on. Like that is absolute lunacy. Um, and there's no, no, absolutely no justification for it. Neil Callan got eight days for virtually nothing. And I know he was very, very aggrieved about it. And it's like it, for technical offences like the head height, I think they have adjusted, made an adjustment there. They, they're not allowed. They have to see it in, in real life. They can't be freeze framing and slow motion and to see that a rider lift his hand <clears throat> above his helmet. So that's led to a reduction in the number of offences for above head height. But on the flat, because of the intensity of the finish, um, it's this giving time to respond that's catching all the riders. Under the old rules, you have to give more than three strides between between each use of the of the whip, but you had to you had to do there had to be three hits involved to break the rules. Now what happened in practice was I suppose a lot of jockeys would pick it pick it up, give one, then maybe a second one, and then put it down and push on. Now if they do that, they're getting caught because there isn't force there there isn't more than three three um strikes between the two hits. So it's a it, and they're getting and they're getting four days for that, which is, and it's nothing. And the, the public wouldn't, if they talk about perception, the public wouldn't even notice that. Are the public going to notice whether there was three strides or four strides between each? Not at all. So they're getting jockeys that might have only used it two or three times getting suspended. Um, it's just completely absolute madness what they've done over there. It's and, completely daft. And, and they were on the brink of one of the best jockeys in the UK, Harry Cobden being given a significant suspension under the totting up procedure. And the only reason that didn't happen that, uh, is because they changed the rules. Yeah, they changed. Yeah, they, which they had to do because it was... And, and I think Harry Cobden, if you went back over the rules, Harry Cobden was probably someone that never got a whip suspension. Yeah. Um, and, and this, what they... So that's at least they changed that and they listened. But it's... It's really just comes down to the, the the penalties. They're just completely crazy. And where it's really going to hit home, it hasn't happened yet. And where it's going to happen is, we for four days, a four day suspension or less, a jockey gets a Group One exemption, so he doesn't serve. If he's only a four day suspension or less, he doesn't serve it on the day there's a Group One. So you, not, you won't get a jockey missing the Derby or the Royal the big race in Royal Ascot because of a minor infringement. It's going to happen now. If you a rider that goes once over in a in a class two or higher race will get an eight day ban. So that means you could miss the Derby, you could miss Royal Ascot, you could miss any of these big races for something as minor as one one use too many. And some I have seen great class two races in England that were worth ten thousand pounds for the winner. Sorry, ten and a half thousand. Like it's not like a. You're not talking about a derby or a group one. You're talking about it could be a race that's worth ten and a half thousand pounds to the winner, and they, it just happens to be called a class two. And if the jockey is one over, he'll get eight days. And the the impact of that on him is completely disproportionate. 
And I think that's going to be the next the next big thing when there'll be absolute blue murder is when someone gets a suspension that's going to put them out of a group one for something very, very minor. And so it's not it's not over yet. Uh, but it's um, like in France, for instance, the, the higher suspensions refer to group races only. They don't refer, so it's only group one, group two, and group three. There's a, a so a first offence in, in one of those races is a six day ban, but it's only in group races. Mm. Uh, it, it's, it's eight days in the UK. Um, well, it's almost, handicap. It, it's almost as if. When and the PGI obviously would have been negotiating behind the scenes, uh, and lots of jo- and fair play to the likes of Luke Morris, Harry Cobden, Harry Skelton, Ryan Moore, who took it upon themselves to go and fight this battle openly. Dennis O'Regan spoke very openly, and, and Dennis has said numerous times on the show that one of the reasons why he speaks out so openly about it is because he's at the latter stages of his, of his career. Like he's he's made it. Yeah. He's he's done. He doesn't fear like he would have. Years ago, I've spoken to so many young jockeys, Dennis, uh, in my role with TalkSport and here on the Final Furlong, who off the record are terrified of the BHA and were terrified to speak out because they felt as though they would be targeted. That's a real thing that jockeys feel as though if they were to go out and speak to the media and tell us what they really think, that the stewards would be coming down hard on them. And you might think that's far-fetched and that's a conspiracy theory and they're all wearing tinfoil hats. No, they really felt that that was, it was going to be a thing and they needed the PGA to support them. And when you make those comparisons between how that structure of penalties works in France, and Lord knows everything's not perfect in French racing, but compared the, the changes that they've made there uh, to deter excessive whip use compared to what they did with, the, with England uh, and the BHA. And on top of that, when... For six months, the, the BHA were saying, these rules are perfect, these rules are great, everybody has to get on board, we're right, you're wrong. And then they did an about turn and said, yeah, that whole thing about banning the backhanded grip, yeah, we're not going to do that. Uh, we're, we're actually, we realise that we're wrong there. But we're so right about this, uh, we're going to double the penalties for various different classes of races, and we're going to increase the suspensions as well. So it was like... On one hand, they were admitting we're wrong, but on the other hand, they had to get one over on them to do that. And that's something that the PGA should have stood up to them about. And really, the PGA should have said, look, if you're going to implement this, you'll kill the sport. We're going on strike if you do. But there was no backbone like that from them. Yeah, it's like in Ireland, they're very, very lucky. The Irish Jockeys Association, Andrew Coonan is at the head of it. And nothing like that would happen in Ireland because he, he would be, very involved and very active but just as you just rightly said the PGA is supposed to give the express the views of the jockeys while giving them protection on an individual basis and it it just doesn't happen now it, it is a lot more difficult in England because it's easy for them to have a jockeys meeting in Ireland they're all at the same race meeting together so are there there's days when there's no racing that they can organize a meeting uh, in amongst the jockeys it's very difficult to do that in the uk because there's there's four or five meetings on on a day they're all spread around the place there's racing every day so it, it i i will say that it is it is difficult it's, they have, it's for them to get to get together to get a meeting to to find the to get the opinion of their members but at the same time they should have been much more active there uh, now they're probably working behind the scenes i hope they are 
um, and I hope that that sense will prevail. But it's very, you know, the BHA have dug themselves into such a corner. It's it should have never got to this. And yeah. now you see, will they be prepared to back down and to say, right, these, these penalties are too are too draconian? Like if you're trying to if you're trying to get somebody to change their technique to try and teach them to not to lift their hands so high or to space out the, the number of strides, you do that by education and incentive, not by draconian punishment yeah they just don't seem to, they just don't, don't seem to have got that doesn't seem to have got it and you'd look as well as the people that came up with this rule these rules how many of them actually rode racing at any sort of a reasonable level like i i know there was two jockeys on the on that whip review it was pg mcdonald and Tom all of this happened during COVID. So you probably find they were trying to do meetings on Zoom between races or trying to drive to the races and trying to do it. And, and it, it, is, it is very, very hard. But, but I did find myself when you had these online Zoom meetings, it's very easy for one or two people to dominate the agenda. You know, they, 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 they more, when you, if you have a meeting of 10 people on Zoom or, or teams, for instance, one or two dominant personalities can completely control the meeting, which they wouldn't be able to do in a person-to-person basis. Um, but it is, it is, and very, very unmitigated. I know they they keep drawing the reference and they keep saying, "Oh, they look at France. France have reduced the, the to to to, um, to to four. I think it's to four strikes." What they don't point out is the penalty structure in France is, is very, very soft compared to the UK. And that's the critical difference. If, <clears throat> if they had just reduced the number of strikes, jockeys would have adjusted. They would have they would have learned to adjust to it, and that would have been it. And there wouldn't have been any of this commotion. But it's just it all comes down to the to the completely irrational and disproportionate penalty structure. Yeah, that's eloquently put. And even how it was reported by some journalists, like the arrogance with what they, with how they described it, is I should just get on with it, whatever. What's the big deal? Yeah. And then when the rules came in, as though you couldn't then question the fact that they have now come into to effect. Like Abby McGregor has said on numerous occasions on the show, when you bring in a rule, it is very very difficult to undo it. And she's mentioned the ratchet effect yeah. numerous times and given us various different, uh, very intelligent examples of how that's been implemented. And ultimately, yeah. all this helps is those who want to destroy right. the sport. It's another example to them. Oh, look, there's a jockey breaching whip rules. Oh, there's a jockey has done this. Yeah. And I, I honestly don't think it's a coincidence that we got such a massive protest at the Grand National. Well, there was less than 500 people there and there were 70,000 paying race scores. But still, yeah. the fact that they, they actually invaded the course, that that happened in the year where this new system of rules were brought into place with such high-profile media attention, I don't think those two things are, are a coincidence, personally. Um, and there is breaking news tonight, courtesy of the Racing Post. Senior jockeys are pushing for Paul Struthers to return as chief executive of the PGA and uh, launching a coup on the leadership described as uh, the PGA being in complete disarray by former members. So they need a steady hand. If they can get Paul Strutters to go back in there and represent them, that would be a very strong individual 
to go and ab- uh, negotiate on their behalf. It would certainly be welcome for the jockeys. But clearly something needs to radically change in the PGA because they have, quite frankly, they have not been up to it recently. No, it's it's... Now, as I said, they're probably working behind the scenes and working quietly, but if they are, they would have been well advised to make it public that they were doing that, you know, and that they were campaigning. At least that would have given their members confidence that they were doing something, but it's been kind of radio silence for the last six months, really. Yeah, I I think you're being very kind to them there. Normally, (laughs) if if people are, and I appreciate you doing that, but I I think when that kind of negotiation is going on behind the scenes, it's always going to be brief to the media. You're always going to be leaking here and there, certainly in British politics and the way that goes. Um, So the, the fact that we weren't hearing anything and the fact that there has been such disarray, all these resignations, the jockeys who are openly calling out, I suspect the, the whole thing's an omni shambles and it needs to be completely shaken up. Yeah. So. Like, like I'd, I'd imagine a lot of the, I'd imagine a lot of the discontent is when you look at the, when you look at the Whip Review Group now, particularly on the flat. I think there was eleven jockeys suspended on one of the days there. Eleven flat jockeys, eight of them were for time to respond, and you have people like Jamie Spencer who've been riding for. How many years he probably never gets a he probably never had a whip suspension getting suspended, you know. Um, and you know, seasoned professionals, good technique, and they're suddenly getting suspensions of four days for the time to respond. And you know, it's um, you know, it's that you can see that there'd be seeding anger over it. And and like what people don't forget, I had. I remember one person on Twitter saying to me, oh, that's the rules. Follow the rules and they'll be all right. And I said, fine. I said, would you expect to be, it's okay to be suspended for eight days without pay for being two minutes late for work? And that was the last I heard from him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean you made a, a well-reasoned logical argument and it shut yeah. up a troll? Yeah. Yeah, that was, um, but that, that is that is the point. The penalties are coming. Total. Like you, like when a jockey can't race, he's got no income. Like whether I don't know whether people realise it or not. As a professional jockey, uh, you don't get paid to ride out. You don't get paid to ride work. You get your rides on the races. That's their only source of income. Bar sponsorship. So if a jockey is suspended for eight days or sixteen days or whatever, he has no income for that period. And they're then expecting them to go to a BHA facility and do additional work. Yeah. It's so yeah. condescending yeah. and so patronizing how they're handling it. It's it's a c- complete and total mess. Uh, but I'm sure there will be more developments on this story as the PGA yeah. implodes uh, under this yeah. battle with the BHA. Um, Churchill Downs, I'm very excited to talk to Naomi about the Kentucky Derby and the Kentucky Oaks. Uh, Madge ended up being a good winner, but it was quite a deflating race. The favorite came out and there had been all kinds of talk on social media that Forte was not right and there wasn't a hope in hell of him running. Uh, yeah. Todd Pletcher comes out and says, oh, no, no, everything's fine. Fast forward a few hours and he's out. Uh, but the biggest controversy at Churchill Downs involved trainer Safi Joseph Jr., who has been suspended indefinitely after Lord Mills, who was trained by him, was taken out of the derby. This is all in, in relation to the sudden death of two of his horses at the track. Uh, the suspension will ban Joseph from having 
directly or indirectly employed people having horses run for him as well, for Safi Joseph, Joseph Jr. Yeah. Uh, they also can no longer apply for stall occupancy at Churchill Downs and their incorporated tracks. So similar to Bob Baffett, it's not just that you're, you're limited and banned from running at Churchill Downs. You can't go to any of their affiliated tracks, and there are a number of them. Um, this all happened after the deaths of Joseph's two horses in a 72-hour span, along with two others in the past week, which cast a massive cloud over the preparations for Churchill Downs. Uh, they also experienced two other horses breaking down with muscular skeletal injuries during training, both of which those horses had to be euthanized. Uh, it was a complete mess at Churchill Downs over the yeah, last I, few weeks. What was your reaction to what happened with Safi Joseph Jr.? And then the the rumors around social media as though it was fact that these horses were doped to the eyeballs, which I have to say there is no yeah. proof of. Yeah, I, I, I only, I don't know. I'd never heard of Sappy Joseph before this happened. I heard an interview with him on the, the Nick Luck podcast on Friday, I think it was, and it just reinforced my original belief that I, I think he's been treated very, very unfairly. Um, he said himself that he's had three thousand eight hundred individual horses run over his career, and this is the first time this has ever happened. Now, they're mutually exclusive events. So if, if it happened twice in 3,800, it could happen at the very start, one at the start, one at the end. It can happen anywhere. Mm. So it, you've got to take it. It's just a very unfortunate coincidence. Unless they have new information that they're not disclosing to the public, and if there was information you think they should be disclosing it, they there was nothing came up in the blood tests. There was nothing that came up in the autopsy. Everything was normal. The trainer said that he had the, the you know, the, the commissioner, the people that run racing there in Mission, and they said, you know, no, you're running everything correct. So if all of that is true, how can you then suspend somebody indefinitely without any idea or any proof of them doing anything wrong? Um, it just doesn't seem to make sense. Um, that he's just a skate scapegoat for the horse. If he had, he had a horse in the Kentucky Derby, that's a once off for the horse. So the horse, if they come back in a week time, say, oh, sorry, that's fine. You can work away. They can't run the Kentucky Derby again. It's yeah. gone. Um, so I, I, from what we know, it just it, it it doesn't seem to be any justification for what appears to be just a very very unfortunate and tragic coincidence of two horses of his um, for whatever reason dying um, like it happened you know we've seen we saw the footballer remember the footballer for Tottenham was very lucky to survive in the in the um, after a heart attack the, the European, yes. yeah it can happen <laughs> unfortunately to any athlete it can happen um well, I really do. Uh, as I said, unless there's something else that they haven't disclosed, and if there was anything, then it's very irresponsible not to disclose it. Then the man has been had a reputation dragged through the dirt without any proof and been severely punished. Yeah, I mean, look, this is not a Bob Baffett situation. Bob Baffett had his he's been at the centre of several doping controversies over recent years yeah. and, and in, in, in the bad, bad, bad for case what happened there the horse came back with an adverse finding from a drug test yeah was, yeah i mean that this is this is the difference here is that bob baffert in 2020 at oakland park 
there were two horses, Gamin, who is a horse that we know very, very well, and uh, another horse who were found to have had irregularities in their system, shall we say. They're basically, there was they were yeah. doped. Um, there's obviously the very high-profile Medina Spirit situation with Bob Baffett as well. So he is banned from Churchill Downs, and it's controversial that he's allowed to continue to race in other jurisdictions. There are people who are very uncomfortable with Bob Baffett yeah. and what's going on. But the difference between uh, so- Safi Joseph and Bob Baffett is there's actual evidence for all that he professes professes his innocence, maintains that to this day that he did nothing wrong. And he is entitled to do that. And maybe this is a huge stitch-up job, but it's a strange one if it is. Uh, There is hardcore evidence against Bob Baffett. There isn't against Safi Joseph. We still don't have the autopsies. There is still no conclusive proof as to what happened. And as somebody who who works with horses uh, day in, day out, it is an extremely unusual thing that, that a horse would just drop dead. But it does happen. Yeah, and because they're and because they're independent events, if it's going to happen twice in twenty years, each of the events is independent. So it could just happen that it happens twice close together, or it could happen twice a uh, long way apart. Um, as I said, unless they have, um, there's nothing has come out. The trainer said, uh, and I understand that. All the tests came back clear, and he he, he said he, there was nothing administered to the horses that shouldn't have been, and it's just a it looks like it's just a very very um, unfortunate tragedy, and um, but it, it it's hard as you said it, it, there seem to be convicting somebody without any evidence. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, investigators examined Joseph's barn. They checked horses' veterinary records. They took blood samples from each of his horses, which showed nothing abnormal. The feed, hay, straw, and supplements used by the horses were also all checked. Uh, the two horses dumped their exercise riders during on-track training on Thursday. Uh, this also happened to verifying who ran in the derby and absolutely bombed out entirely. I'm not yeah. quite sure what the what the riding style on that horse was either, by the way. I couldn't quite understand why he gunned him as hard as he did. Not that I'm... Well, I'm, I'm speaking from my pocket there, so perhaps. Yeah. Uh, but the horses, the, the jockeys who were thrown from those horses weren't injured. Um, and Joseph has also said... Safi Joseph has also said that he was questioned by investigators from the Kentucky Racing Commission and Churchill Downs on Thursday. Again, they found nothing. Uh, he professes his, his innocence. If you had a Bob Baffett hardcore situation where, hang on, this horse has clearly tested positive for a banned substance, maybe you didn't do it, or at least you're saying you didn't do it, but it's in their system, I could understand the ban. It's harder to explain when there isn't anything there uh, to be yeah. able to say. And the problem with this is, the, with the with the way social media is now, people just want to jump to conclusions. It's supposed yeah. to be innocent until proven guilty, and that's just... I don't think that was ever really the way the world works. It's the way the court system works. It's not really how society works. You go back to the 90s and see big scandals. People were jumping to conclusions before the facts would, would come out. But that is what's happening in, in this situation. People are jumping to conclusions. And in, in American racing in particular, there is a perception of drug abuse. There is a perception that that is rife there, that of course horses are being doped to the eyeballs. They were able to run on Lasix for so many years. 
uh, yeah. before that was ultimately done away with. And that perception... They're still, that, they're still, I think they're still able to run on LASIK. In certain jurisdictions... They're trying to do away with it. Yeah, they tried yeah. to do away with it, but unsuccessfully. You, you can't do it, uh, and, and for, for what I remember, you can't do it in the Kentucky Derby and you can't do it at, at the Breeders' Cup anymore. Yeah. Um, but, you know, European trainers were taking full advantage of, of that. But actual performance-enhancing drugs, like injecting steroids into horses, that is, the perception is that that is rife in American racing. And it doesn't hap- It doesn't help then when you have somebody as high-profile as Bob Baffett wrapped up in such a hugely controversial situation and then he, quite rightly in my mind, is banned by Churchill. But this would appear, at least on the surface, to be massive overreach unless, as you pointed out, Dennis, unless they know something that for some bizarre reason they are not telling us about. I think it's safe to say if it happened in any one of the other 51 weeks of the year, this, it wouldn't have been dealt with like this. Yes. It's just because it's their biggest, their highest profile race, um, huge um, eyes of the public uh, on, the, on, the, on the event. And they just, um, I think this that kind of jumped them into a panicked reaction um, but it's um, it is like you know, is it a, we would normally say in anything you you know you ask you a presumption of innocence, and unless otherwise found, now you can take they they you could take other precautions like enhanced testing. They could have tested every horse, and they, you know they could have pre-test um, pre-test on this horse, a pre-blood test that was going to run in the Kentucky Derby. They could have done anything like that. So I don't. It's just it seems very much like that it's uh, it's um, that that it's just very un, very unfair treatment of them, um, and 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 that's it. I think we see racing in the U.S. isn't helped either. Is each state seems to do its own thing. There yeah. isn't, they're trying to change that at the moment, but there isn't there isn't an overall central regulatory control over it, and that doesn't help them either. But um, but it's uh, it'll I suppose it'll, it'll be interesting to see how quickly now they they resolve it because I presume that you're also told he uh, that's what he that's his livelihood and I don't know what you do everyone trains on the track so if you tell somebody a trainer that you can't have horses in this uh, you can't have a barn here anymore where do they put the horses? Well, that's another good <laughs> I, point. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's not like so in I Ireland know. where when Stephen Mann got banned he still had a yard. Um, yeah, and you know the horses were there. Now most of those horses were moved to Pat Kelly, and controversially, he ended up working for him. But those look at the the current situation with um, Ronan McNally. You know, it's it's yeah. probably game over for Ronan McNally with the the fact that an appeal was rejected the other day by a trainer for similar circumstances. It doesn't bode well for him, but at least he still has a place that he can reside. He still has an area. I think what's happening to him is in the context of, of the fact that there are no welfare issues, I think that guy's being railroaded and, and I think it's it's unfair. Yes, there should be punishment. Yes, there should be a suspension. A 10-year suspension? A 12-year suspension? No. I, I've, I've said that on the show before. I think it's it's crazy. In this instance, I don't have any interest in going to bat for, for Safi Joseph. Don't know the guy, similar to you, wasn't really familiar with him on, until this, but it is alarming to me that there isn't really hard evidence against him 
and yet they're coming down on top of them like a, a ton of bricks. And and on and America, as, you, as you said, it, it only feeds the perception. Like straight away, people think, "Oh, the horse had drugs; <laughs> he wouldn't be suspended otherwise." Well, exactly. I mean, Which even on that, like, to, to say to you, "Is it a case of that they know something that they're not telling us?" That's a conspiracy. Like that's a, yeah. that's a theory. You know, that's there's no hardcore proof to that. There's nothing factual about that. It's just maybe that's the explanation as to why. But it's making us question something when it could be handled in a better situation. I, I think it's a mess. Finally, I, I'm quite alarmed at the rise of media who are just taking on racing full stop. And The Guardian have been leading the way in, in this. The Guardian gave a full column to Alex Lockwood of Animal Rebellion. And at least that column literally said comment. Very clearly an opinion piece. In The Guardian today, and we're going to have Greg Wood on the show on Tuesday, so perhaps we'll, we'll ask him about it directly, and he's not involved in the editorial side of things, but Elizabeth Benicki has written a piece for them, and it's not in there as an opinion piece. It's not in as comment. It's in as a report. And in it, she says that she worked as, a, as an exercise writer for two decades in the racing industry. The headline, What Do Horses Feel at the Kentucky Derby? Mostly Fear and Pain, followed by the subheading, U.S. audiences will be sold the tale of horses battling for glory and adulation at Churchill Downs, but the actual story is far more disturbing. Again, this is not a commentary piece. This is in there under horse racing on on the site. But in her article, uh, she goes on to say that um, horses have a simple, primitive mindset. They only care about their own survival. As a result, when horses compete, they do not enjoy the event as humans do. Instead, their brain functions as motor and sensory organs, which makes them sensitive to safety and danger. In stressful situations such as racing, horses react with a fight-or-flight response, and restraint tools such as bits and lip and nose chains can inflict serious pain. That's complete nonsense, isn't it? Like, you know, Thank I'd, you. Be, I'd, I'd be here, I have, as I said before, my horses live within a couple of yards of the house, and there I... I see them all the time. I see. I know their mood, and like the whole nature of our racing, we will look at horses. We see them relax through their racing. You don't. You, the last thing you want is a horse jumping out of the stalls and running flat out like his life is a is under threat from a predator. You want they jump out, they relax, they settle, um, and then you want them to pick up at the end of the race. You've seen horses. As soon as the rider stops pushing them, you see them relax again straight away. You see them back in the winner's enclosure posing for photographs afterwards. They don't look like horses that are traumatised or in fear, do they? It's complete nonsense. Well, she completely undermines and contradicts herself in the argument because in one paragraph she says horses have a simple primitive mindset. But then in the next paragraph she says traumatic events such as racing, because, you know, running is so traumatic, Uh, doping, and that leads to what we were talking about earlier on, and restraint can create supercharged survival mode memories or PTSD. Well, which one is it? Are they animals that are capable of suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, or are they animals who just have a simple primitive mindset? Well, I mean, you look at the, like, if if you, anyone that rides a horse will know if a horse is afraid of something, so if there's something on the ground that a horse is afraid of, you'll know it. You'll know by his reactions, he won't want to go near it. Um, so you know the way they react to if they're afraid of something. Um, you look at, um, you look 
But then you look at horses going around the parade ring like horses that run 10, 20, 30 times. Look at them going around the parade ring before the race and they walk around as happy as could be, relaxed. If they were afraid of what was coming, they wouldn't be like that. You, you look at, regarding the stick, I've never yet seen a horse seen a jockey coming with a stick in his hand and the horse going, yikes, <laughs> and, and ducking away or trying to get away from it. They don't, it doesn't, they don't even notice it. Um, it's like they, 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 it's, 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 like you look at the horse, you have to have a horse relaxed and happy. You watch them, they canter down to the start, watch them, 99% of them will walk around calm as can be at the start. Um, and then they jump off and race. It's um, you know, it, it's it, it's um, that 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 person for someone who claims to be around horses for two decades. I don't know what horses she was around, or I don't know what she was doing, but um, she she's certainly not at reporting it as it is. It's stunning to me. It it really is, and I think it's important to debunk it as much as we possibly yeah. can. But particularly that she's literally contradicting herself in the space of a paragraph. Uh, yeah. But the fact that this is being given the platform that it is, and it's under horse racing sport in The Guardian, it's not in there as a commentary, it's not in as an opinion piece, so you I could look at that, an average reader could look at that and go, oh, that's fact. Because the headline would, literally popping up uh, on The Guardian Sports that is, what do horses feel at the Kentucky Derby? Mostly fear and pain. That's not, that's not accurate. And it's not in there as an opinion piece. It's in there as an actual racing story. Would they write a piece as inaccurate about as that for about human behaviour? They would not. They, they they wouldn't let someone with clearly no expertise um, write such a such a nonsensical article. It's it, it, it's really really so crazy. Like as we know, um, horses are the race horses have the live a five-star life, then people look after racehorses better than they look after themselves. Yeah. Uh, dentists, physios, vets, you know, the slightest little ailment that people will, will have it have it fixed. Um they they literally they, they they do they have a very, very good life, well looked after, the best of feed, the best of everything. And um of all the animals the racehorses have the have the very very best life, and and they're very content in their life. Um, you know, anyone that goes into a racing yard will see how relaxed the horses are, how happy they are in their environment. Um, it's so when to allow somebody to write something like that's just pure pure nonsense. You know, and and uh, you know you say these people they don't even want to know. They they have these crazy ideas, whether they believe them or not. I don't, themselves, I don't know, but they don't even want to, to see what it's really like. They just, I think they use racing. I think a lot of these people, their, their aim is to impose veganism on the world and racing is just a vehicle they can exploit, exploit to do that. <laughs> you know, the Daily Mail, for instance, giving the front page of their paper before the entry um, Grand National to a very small fringe organisation like the amount of publicity that got them and the same then about the Derby um, they, 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 like you wonder why they just weren't ignored for 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 what they are, a very very small fringe group and I'm sure some of them are very 
well-meaning and they and they mean well, but they're very naive or, or or just don't understand the situation they're talking about. No, and they don't want to know either. I mean, we've, we've talked yeah. before about how, and you're absolutely right. We've mentioned this on the show in the past. Let's cut through the nonsense and get straight to what it is these people want. And that's what I did on talk radio a year and a half ago. It would have been during the pandemic uh, when I debated the head of PETA. I literally said, and I've said this story before, but forgive me for repeating it. I I asked her, um, there's a presenter, Christo, who's on Talk TV, which is a spinoff of talk radio. Uh, And I said, look, if you don't mind, Christo, can I just ask, like, what exactly is your objective here, head of PETA? Like, what is it? Because we're never going to agree. What do you want? And she'd earlier said that they wouldn't care for horses. They're not going to be the ones who are going to look after them if the industry was to collapse due to a ban that horses could roam in fields and look after themselves. Uh, Because, you know, that would work out terrifically well. And she advocated for stopping breeding. We need to stop breeding racehorses. So instantly, that's what their their objective is. Eradicate the breed. And that's what it's all about. They want us all on a plant-based diet. They want to reclaim the farmland, and tonight I'm in my apartment in Balancholic in, in Cork. Uh, if I go out into the balcony, what am I looking over on? Beautiful green fields. If I'm home in Kilkenny and I look out the window, I'm looking over at beautiful green fields as far as the eye can see, beautiful countryside. They want to re- They have made this a statement of fact. They want to reclaim farmland, do away with agriculture entirely, um, put us all on a plant-based diet, and then build on that farmland. That's the stuff of a dystopian Orwellian nightmare. Like that's you know, no cows, no sheep, no horses, no donkeys, no wild animals of any kind. We're not supposed to have any interaction with any animals. We're we're not supposed to eat meat. We're supposed to just converse with ourselves, interact with ourselves in a concrete jungle of nightmarish proportions. And they say this with a straight face. Yeah. Well, personally, and I think the thing I've, I've met hundreds, thousands of people over the years in racing. The one thing you'd say about everyone, you wouldn't work in racing if you didn't love horses. Exactly. Like everyone in it loves horses. Um, I love horses. I love being around them. I love their personality. Um, I love looking after them. And I love racing them. And and I can remember most race horses only probably race a maximum of eight to ten times a year. So they're they, they, it's only it's only occasionally that they're racing. Most of the time, it's routine care and exercise and riding and riding them out. But um, they, it's it's like we do it, and people love animals. But these people, I don't think they even want you to have a pet dog. Do they? No, they don't. No, literally, <laughs> the head of Peter's yeah. belief is that is that it is immoral and unethical for humans to have pets. Animals are free animals. They should be allowed to live their own lives. And you're a monster if you have a pet dog or a pet cat. How dare you? Well, like the one thing about racehorses is they are fabulously well looked after, but they do need that care and attention. If you put racehorses out on their own and left them to their own devices, they wouldn't. They die a horrible death. Yeah. Um, they're they're they, you know they they. They, they they wouldn't they wouldn't survive and they wouldn't survive without that care without the feed that you give them and without that supervision and and care uh, it's they're just crazy crazy attitudes they have and and what's what's wrong with people having animals once they look after them properly and give them a good life that's what you do that's um, it uh, yeah yeah and the most all we do is we just make sure that they're 
they're they're they're happy they're 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 well looked after and that they're and that they want everything and and of course the one thing I always say like and my thing is the first thing you need like ultimately we want to train winners and win races but you will only win races with a happy with a happy horse you'll never win races with an unhappy horse so that's that, that's what I will always think absolute fact absolute fact we we're still in a fight with these folks. They're not going anywhere. They were protesting at the Guineas over the weekend. They protested Royal Ascot last year. They're going to do it again. And exactly as you said, Dennis, why are they doing this? Because racing is a vehicle to their overall goal of a vegan, plant-based society. That's what they want. And they will take the worst aspects of our sport and showcase it to the world and manipulate images but, and look, there are there are some horrible scenes on a race course. No one wants to see a, a race horse die. Nobody wants to see that happen, of course. But the, the drum that we have to continue to bang is that the fatality rate in racing is less than a percent. It's 0.2%. Yeah. You don't have that fatality rate for people who drive cars. And we all do that. Or at least yeah. the vast majority of us do. You know, I'm going to get in a car later on and please God, I'll get to my destination safely and soundly. But... Five people die on average on British roads. If you lived your life the way these people are advocating, you wouldn't get out of bed in the morning and life wouldn't be worth living. Life is, is inherent with risk and it's made all the richer for, certainly in my experience, it's made so much better sharing it with animals, having, having the love of a pet. And I'm under no illusions of the fact that my cats are very much interested in themselves first and foremost. <laughs> that's that's their priority. But we have hedgehogs that come into the garden. We have foxes that come into the garden. I I love seeing that the birds in the garden. I I love uh, interacting with them and and sharing the lives around them and being in a race course and getting to see these incredible creatures. Get getting to um, Jarline's yard for a stable tour and seeing those horses up close. It's an incredible gift that we have. And yeah. then there's Captain right there. Bring Down and the Buzz Killers trying to destroy it all. Right there, the, the, to me, the racehorse is the most magnificent animal on the planet. Like they're 500 kilo, they're beautiful personalities, but they you won't force them to do anything they don't want to do. If they don't want to do it, they won't do it. And there's nothing anybody would make would make, would be able to impose their will on it. The way the reason they let us ride them. They let they race and all of that is because they're happy to do it. They they like you see you see it yourself. Anyone will tell you the horse the horses actually enjoy going out in their exercise. They enjoy galloping. They like to gallop fast. Like I, because mine is a small stable, I usually ride them on their own. But they want to gallop fast. They race horses love galloping fast. That's that's their nature, and. Um, these people just don't understand that. Nor do they want to. Nor do they want to. Yeah. Uh, it has been a pleasure chatting about the weekend's racing thank and the big stories in the sport with you. We'll have to do it again, Dennis. Thank you so, so much for your insight you and for much. your time. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. We're going to be Bye. talking to a punter's advocate for um, fighting against bookmakers, but also fighting against the uh, government white paper and the gambling restrictions that are being brought in, into place. Uh, Justice for Punters on the show on Tuesday, along with Greg Wood from The Guardian as well. We'll be talking to him. Uh, of course, Mark Milligan will be back here previewing the weekend's racing to come. Uh, we've got Derby Trials galore. Chester is on hand too. Lots of content coming your way. And another big competition 
uh, with Racing Tees, leading clothing brand Racing Tees. Congratulations to Gaz, who won the competition earlier on today. He's got a hoodie in Chaldean silks and a baseball cap of Chaldean colors on his way to him, courtesy of ourselves and Racing Tees. Uh, there is another competition on the way. Check out at Radio Emmett on Twitter or at Final Forum Pod. Uh, you'll get full details there. It's free to enter and we'll give away uh, a brand new hoodie in the silks of your choice and uh, baseball cap as well, courtesy of ourselves and Racing Tees. Check out Radio Emmett on the Tweet Machine uh, at Final Forum Pod for more information. Until then, be safe, be well. We'll talk to you very soon. God bless.